0: That was All I Have, Jennifer Lopez featuring L. Cool J, and it was co-written by today's guest, Curtis Richa. Hi, my name is James Drigas-Horton, the host of The Original Doll. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who created it. We go behind the scenes and learn about how songs were created and how these creatives got involved in music. For more information, visit me at www.theoriginaldoll.com and Instagram, the.original.doll. Now, something great about what we do at The Original Doll with James Rodriguez is we help out those in need. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to charity. We've been able to help out women and children in domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens, and more. For more information, go to those sites that I just referred to. But I wanted to let you know that in today's episode, we're talking about J.Lo. J.Lo has had an impact on many other artists' careers. Britney Spears has often said that j her style, what she's done, her career, is something that she's admired. I figured this was one of those songs that would be great, and we learn about sampling. So, a little bit more about All I Have is that it was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for four weeks. It was also in the United States, number one on the radio songs for four weeks, number one on the pop airplay for four weeks, and number one on rhythmic airplay for two weeks. It would go on to ultimately be on ten different charts in the United States, all within the top four. We'll go more into that later. But I want to give a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for joining me. For everyone else, please think about joining the Patreon for The Original Doll. You can find it at For as little as a dollar a month, you're helping support to keep this, The Original Doll, up and running. The more guests we get, the more content we get, the more money we need for the servers, and so much more. So for more information, visit www.TheOriginalDoll.com. So we're going to head right into this, and I want to know from you. What did you think the first time you heard this song? Send me a comment, let me know, post on my wall on TikTok, at the James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. Now on with the show. As with every episode of The Original Doll, any audio recording ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So let's get right to it. Today's guest, Curtis Richa. The I want to welcome you all back my name is James Rodriguez Horton on the original doll I unpackage music with the people who created it today we have somebody that many of you have sent a ton of messages about so everyone I tried to condense all these questions and everything for today we have Curtis Richardson here thank you so much Curtis for joining us
1: thank you, thank you so much for having me I, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm just delighted to be here well, it's one of those things where it's like you and I have been messaging. A lot of people don't realize that sometimes it takes a bit to go from the initial conversation to go, okay, let's get this going and stuff because you y'alls are busy. You know what I mean? So let's, let's mm-hmm. go through this. So Curtis, let's go back and rewind. Let's talk about you early on. When mm-hmm. did music become a part of who you are?
1: music okay so I come from a musical family um basically um my cousin was in a group called instant funk when I was probably like six or seven and 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 that was the, the tail end of the disco era so they so he basically was a part of that group and then we worked together uh My family worked together in music and I wasn't in music, I was in theater. So like around 14, I became uh, really obsessed with theater and and, um, acting and dancing and (laughs) singing. And I kind of did that throughout uh, junior high school, high school, even into college I was doing. And I was supposed to go study uh, for Broadway because I really had an eye on Broadway because I love show tunes. But I always loved music and um, because I was from a family of musicians, I wrote music, not thinking it was abnormal. I thought, okay, I wrote songs. It was something that everyone did. I had no idea that, that did everyone didn't write songs. Mm. Um, until I got to college and I went to Rutgers University. And I remember um someone saying, Hey, you know, I like this song you wrote, you should sing it. And I said, Okay, cool. So I went to, you know, did coffee houses and I did different programs singing this one song. And people kept requesting and they said we love the song and i'm like wow this it's okay fine that's fine and then i went to school finished and i remember a college friend of mine said hey come to the studio let's work on some music because i know you write and it was the recording part that excited me it was one thing writing a song but then you record the song and then they got a demo singer to re-sing my song so then it became like a record to me and that fascinated me because i was always one throughout my childhood to buy music, read the liner notes. I wanted to know who wrote it, who produced it, who <laughs> ep it, who did what on the record. And I couldn't understand. I remember when I was 12 years old, begging my mother to buy me a Billboard magazine only just to read the credits. I was obsessed with credits since I was about 10 years old, but never understood why until that moment when I recorded my record. I said, you know what? This is something I love. This is my calling to write. And I took it upon myself at that point to write as much as I can. I've I've, I've met a producer named Dima Wet through my friend Simone Hines, and he had a studio in, in Teenick, New Jersey, which he still does. And um, we he allowed me to write with him and record with him. Another producer I started with was Michael Moon, uh, and a uh, Moon was gracious enough to have me record and do demos with him and they were bringing and I met one of my early writing partners named Shavita Green and she recorded vocals with me and we wrote together and I did so much writing and recording for like about a good four or five years before I had a, had a cut so that's kind of how I started and I say I went through an apprentice era with music where I just was trying to record and write as much as possible just to get my get that muscle you know mm-hmm. strong and understanding the process of recording, I learned and you know, like I said, with well, you know, Moon and Demoet they were my teachers as far as understanding how to, you know, Michael Moon, Rubin and Demoet, Anthony Demoet, Moody uh, helped me understand what it is to build a song, to build a record, to arrange a song because that's where you learn, you know, background harmonies, you know, uh, structure, arrangement; those are very key. Aside from just writing the song. And um, so that was my beginning.
0: Well, and what's interesting is uh, a previous guest, Lindy Robbins, she talked about like, she's like, I'm a musical person, I love musical. And she's like, you know, when you're into musicals or into that performance, and like, you realize you have to tell a story in a short amount of time, those songs, you yes. have to get, you have to get right to that point. Yes,
1: yes. And so some of my heroes were great storytellers like Michael Masser and Linda Creed and you know uh Marilyn Bergman and Carol Fayer and Diane Warren and you know, of course, you know, all the great writers, um, Rod Temperton, uh just so many incredible songwriters, of course, Stevie Wonder, um you know, Smokey Robinson, just so many incredible writers that I was fortunate. Of. And, you know, and producers like David Foster, I grew up with in the late 70s and the 80s that absorbed their music and their lyric and their style and their, uh, you know, their their attention to detail as far as coloring and how they colored the lyric in such a way that you can visualize everything. You can see the lyric. You didn't need a visual. Visual just kind of was an additional accompaniment to the song. So it, it's, it sparked the imagination. So when I hear... Um, certain records, like um, you know, like someone I used to know. Like, you know, when I was like, I felt the energy of the emotion. Like Carly Simon was a big favorite of mine when I was a kid. I used to love her songs. Like I was obsessed with the lyric and the melody and like just just the weight of what she was saying in the song. And I think some of the best songwriters are not the best singers. It's just that, you know, not in regard to Carly, but just in general, like, you know, you think about Dylan and you know Mm -hmm. and those those writers and of course I love the Beatles and Paul McCartney who was an incredible writer him and his wife were incredible writers so it's just I just loved songwriters you know since I was young and I never understood why I loved them so much I just always gravitated to okay I hear the song but who wrote the song? Mm -hmm. Who wrote it? Who composed it? Who who did it. That's, like, that's why when I listened to Motown music and I, you know, Holla Dojo and Holland, which I met, I was fortunate to meet Lamont Dojo years ago. And I asked him like, what inspired you to be a songwriter? And he was like, well, I knew I wanted to be an artist first, but then I realized that I had stories to tell. Mm. You know what I mean? And this mm-hmm. is a conversation I had with David Bryan, who was a big writer in the eighties. And he, he talked about how they wrote songs and how they 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 lived as songwriters in the eighties. And I thought, wow, this is incredible because it's so different now than it was then. You know what I'm saying? So that really made me extremely happy to hear the process of what the what the what the what, the, what it was like in a different era compared to now. Because I actually love aspects of the old industry, like they actually shared you know, leads and they shared, you know, songs. And, you know, <laughs> they, they referred one another to projects. Like I remember David Ryan, who's a legendary songwriter, who wrote Don't You, co-wrote Don't You Rock Me with Jody Watley and Franny Gold. He told me a story where, you know, the writers of How Will I Know were meeting with Clive and, you know, and <laughs> they were, they played him the song. It's like, oh, this song is great. And he goes, well, the song is on hold for, uh, you know Janet Jackson, you know, for a project that they're doing. So he so Clive was like, he called up the, you know, John McClain and said, hey, you know, are you still using this song? And they're like, well, no, we're not using because you know she's gonna be working with, you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis now. So then he got the song. But how they got the meeting was they were referred to Clive by another writer. Oh I writer, didn't know. David. And so they did things <laughs> like that. Because you know they didn't have the internet. They didn't have you know, you know, the the emails they had, you know, they could just, they had to, it was just very hand to mouth, word of mouth, like physical, you know, you sent in a tape, you know, all these different things. So it was very important, you know, um, to, so to make a long story short, that's kind of why I was invested in, Mm -hmm. um, hearing those stories and even more invested in songwriting and making it very clear that this is a, this is a craft. This is a love and a passion. It's not so much a job to me. It's just something it's breathing. It's communication for me. Mm -hmm. And I realized that as I grew as a writer, like, okay, this is how I deal with the things that lie beneath, you Mm -hmm. know, or the things that I I'm absorbing. You know, that's where songs are born. And that's what, so when I hear a song back now that I've done previously, I go, oh, I know what I was thinking and feeling at that time. It could have been my experience. It could have been a reflection of someone else's experience
0: at the time. Well, and that's one of those things that I think on the original doll I like doing, because I think. Oftentimes, especially up through like the, the early 2000s, when you would buy a CD, crack open that thing, if you were a liner geek like us, you'd go, oh, why, why, I like that song. Who was a part of it? And oftentimes I said, sometimes people are like, oh, there's only two good songs on the album. I was like, well, look who the songwriter is. I'm like, oh, I go, now just go follow them. Because chances are, if you like the storytelling that that's there, you're probably going to like the next thing. And they're like, I yeah. didn't really. And so, so many times people would go, I found this artist because you told me they did this. And now I looked and it's like, I like those songs. And oftentimes I think we overlook that the the consumer overlooks the songwriter because when the, you know, it's on radio, no one says, you know, this is written by, you know, Curtis. No one, you know, even on Apple and Spotify up until a few years ago, you couldn't even get, you know, the, the information on there, like who the songwriter was. And sometimes it was completely, And like, it was not right. I was like, Britney Spears didn't write, like, I will always love you. You know, not that that happened, but you know what I mean? Where you're like this, how do you not know that that's wrong? So I like here being able to hear that because I think I like new ears on music as well. So when we talk about some of your songs, some people may be like, I didn't know that. And I never shame anyone for not knowing it because you listening to it 15 years after it's released is still cool because you're having your first experience. So what I want to do is, go through some of these songs and talk to you about what you've done because you have Mm. a story for everything that you've done you know what I mean there's there's reasons for it so what I want to do is hop into this because I know I've had there's probably about 50 or 60 messages I got about all I have okay like it was insane the amount of things and (laughs) I'm just like people were like and so they're like can you tell this for me as a, a lot of people sharing the love where they're like, this is a great song. It's so great. We love samples. We love this. Mm-hmm. So what I what I tried doing was condensing all of these, you know, love letters to you. One of them is from Daphne in Bulgaria. She said, can you please ask Curtis about All I Have? It's perfect. I just thought for some reason this song wouldn't work on radio. And it did. And I love listening to it every time. Now, I wanted to know, when did LL get involved and did you know it was going to be a single? I heard it was actually a short time from recording to being on the album to being released. Can you please have that? another person? We have Trina in Tobago. She said, oh, you need to talk to him about all I have. That song gets me going. I do not know what song sounds like a love letter. And it's about breaking up and a guy trying to get you back. Get it, girl. (laughs) These are just some of these for you. For all okay. I have, so rewind okay. back. <laughs> okay, Daphne and Trina,
1: thank you for those wonderful questions. Um, to answer Daphne's question, um, it's so hilarious. So, me and Makiba Riddick Woods, who's a, she's done so many, she's done so many major songs since then. Um, incredible songwriter, arranger, um, musician uh we were writing a lot of, together at that time and we were in the studio and we got a call she got a call from Max Goose uh, who was an A&R at the time at Sony and they said wait we got this track it's a sample but you know we need you to work on it like today we need you guys to work on it like now <laughs> cuz at that time they were in the, from what i've learned later is they were pressing Jennifer's album i think it was done um Uh, at the time as far as they were concerned but they were you know really pulling for uh this track I think they sent it to a major writer and the writer was like no I don't want to write to a sample so we went to the studio and uh well back up we we got picked up in a car (laughs) so it was kind of like the car ride was a little sketchy and I remember sitting there and I was, you know, me and Keith were talking or like we we're kind of nervous. And I felt this tingling sensation, you know, that came through my, like from the top of my head through the bottom of my feet. And usually when I get that, it's like a premonition that this is like a pivotal moment from, you know, in, in just in life. So we get to the studio and the studio looks so run down. I think it was like, I want to say it was like, at the edge of Brooklyn, somewhere or somewhere. It was just really run-down studio. It was just like not the, the not a studio that we would normally go to. It was just like really like a private studio. And I remember walking in and it was a rapper, I think named Graf, who was there recording. And then we walked in and then we go in the studio and we listen to the track. And we go, oh, I know that song. That's, you know, very special from, <laughs> you know, you know, Debra Laws, because oh, I'm a music historian. You know, I knew, you know, I knew the song, the track. And I was like, gosh, how are we going to write to that? And so we we sit down in, in the back room and I go, you know what? We should write something that's relevant to what's going on. So at the time, you know, Makiwa had gone, went through a situation where she was breaking up with someone. And then I was going through a transitional situation as well. Um, and I felt like we should write something that's true to how, what we're feeling, you know? And then I remember listening to the track again, and then the melody came. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so that's the first thing that came to us. So we were like, oh, and so we were, we built on that. And then I remember we wrote, "I'm good, holding down the spot, and I'm good." The Griffin, the girls on my block, and I'm good. I got this thing life, and without you, you'll be fine, right? So the "I'm good" was a very New York thing to say. Like we were like, "Okay, are you? Good? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good." So it was like a slangy thing. So we were like we're gonna throw that in there. So we wrote the chords. All I am is all I have. We were we like a pretty much a whole song, right? So we demoed it. Didn't hear anything for like mm, two weeks. We thought, okay, well, we tried. You know, we did our best. Then we get a call from the label. Hey, you guys got to go on Hit Factory, uh, which at the time was in New York. Um, is, we, you're going to go on Corey, Corey Rooney, to finish the song. So I uh, said, so, okay, cool. Because at the time we were thinking, we're writing for JLo by herself. We're not thinking of it as a duet. So we go in with Corey and then he's like, hey, could you guys just re-record, you know, certain parts? So we went and re-recorded the song and said, could you add an outro? So we wrote it, me and McKee wrote an outro right on the spot. There's nothing you can say to me that can change my mind. I gotta let you go now and nothing will ever be the same or just be on your way. So we wrote that. So then he after we finished, he loved it. He said, that's great. We recorded it. I'm doing vocal with her. She's in the booth. We're vocaling her. I'm vocaling producing her with him. And then we, she, she, we come out and he goes, hey, if this could be a duet. You know, who do you think? And then I think some names were thrown around. I think, you know, I think I heard like Glenn Lewis, Genuine, different people. I was thinking, man, we good if it could be a rapper. You know, because she had done a rapper record with Ja Rule previous to this. So I was like, you know, we good to be a rapper if it's whatever. And I think we were saying names and, I, and in my mind, I was thinking, oh, LL, because LL had a, a, a hot record at that time. I was like, oh, LL Cool J would be really cool. You know what I'm saying? Not thinking nothing of it. So we leave the studio. Didn't hear anything about the, we, we heard it was a week or so went by. We heard that, you know, the record was a go. We were like, yes, this is a big placement for the both of us. Because previous to that we had gotten cut on 3LW, which was a big record to us then, you know what I'm saying, the year before. So we were like, yes, Jennifer Lopez, this is huge. Like, we can get a like a, this is great for our career, you know. So no business was done. We didn't think about that. We were just happy to have to cut. So then about, I think a few days later, I'm over... You know, I'm hanging out with her and we're like sitting there, like just trying to process this whole thing. And then we look at the TV and we see a commercial. For all I have. And it was like, oh, the making of all I have. And then you see her in the studio writing the song with, or you know, working on the song with excuse me, with LL Cool J. And just to give you a backstory, the original's title was I'm Good, which she changed to All I Have, which made her, you know, you know, she also made some detail changes as well which she became a composer on a record with LL and me and Makiba. And the thing is, like, we knew it was a single at that point because they wouldn't do a making of anything for an album cut. And I just felt like, are you kidding me right now? Because, you know, Jenny from the block was just killing it at this time, killing it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's a single. I don't know what's going to be, what's going to be the next single, the single after that. And then we got a call, it's going to be the second single. And I knew at that point, my life was completely going to change. Like we were like, we were working so hard to get there. And we, and, you know, and then when it came out, debuted number 28. So it was like the highest debut of twenty two thousand and two 2002 at the end of 2002 and then it took like six or seven, a few weeks to get to number one. And then it stayed there for four weeks. And so at the time, my best friend, who one of my good friends, Jeremy Razumna, Jeremy who worked on um, Macy Grady's I Try, he was the only person that I can identify. Like, I didn't, like, no one I knew had a hit record except for him. So I went to L- LA. <laughs> To LA the week that it was number one. <laughs> and I was like, help, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you you dream of having a, a hot 100 number one, billboard number one, but in the big towards the beginning of your career, like how do you process that? Because this song that was really just a breakup, it was a sarcastic breakup song. It was meant to be very sarcastic, like. It sounds happy, but it's like uh, you're. We're, I'm done with mm-hmm. you, and there's no coming back. And you messed up on a good thing. Sorry, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But it was meant to be a, 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 the breakup anthem song, and but with a sarcastic little, like you know, like a like a twist to it, like a caveat. Like okay, yeah. I'm actually fine with this breakup kind of a deal you know what I'm saying even though I was sad about it I'm actually going to be okay I, I'm, I'm kind of still sad about it but I'm going to be all right because it's, it's for the best
0: you know well, that, kind was, of. that was something that came up in a lot of these comments about it saying like that it wasn't this super depressing thing but it acknowledged the sadness of it and it's about hope and there were people that said you know this was the first time I had ever heard a song in which the guy was saying one thing and the woman was saying the other. And to me, that was iconic in my mind because I didn't experience that before. That was from Lucy. And so all these people, they were just like, yeah. it was new to them. And mm-hmm. to me, I always feel like when I hear all I have, I'm like, damn, you know, when you go through, so listeners, when you go back through and listen, Listen to those lyrics specifically because when you think about it, they're like, Oh, you're all I have, and it's like, No, 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 take a listen to it because it deserves a, a second, third, yeah. 50th listen. Well, I gotta give credit to Jennifer because she actually changed
1: the whole countenance of the record, the energy, like that title change because it's like, It was all I'm good, and then we and then she changed to All I Have, and then LL Cool J, um, as well, you know. for adding the male perspective because we wrote it from the female perspective you know and then he added I mean what he wrote was just insanely good like it was just the idea of like that that balance you know his you know you need that perspective like you know pride is what you have but on what you have so he's holding on to the relationship trying to salvage it and and she's like too bad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I gave you chances, but I have to move on. And she's, you know, she's a little bit melancholy. It's a very melancholy kind of record. It's like, no, I I don't love this breakup, but I know it's necessary in order for me to grow. Even though part of me would love to stay, I know I have to leave to grow. And then he's sitting there like, no, stay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, like we can, we can work it out, but it's kind of too late.
0: So when, when you went back through this, I mean, from the t- so from the time that you were in the studio, then you you know, then you heard L-L-L-L-L-L-A. L-A- <laughs> ladies love cool james was gonna be a part of it. That was just a couple weeks in between you all recording it and and LL recording his. Yeah. It was
1: so then- it was like a month in change. Like I wanna say I think we recorded in October, no, like early October. I think but with that record came out, November twenty fifth. So it was like a, it was like almost like not even two months. Period before because that
0: was the thing he had posted saying he was just in the studio, and that was like October fifteenth or something like that. Her album came out like November. The single came out like the yeah, end. So then it was like number one. So your all's journey was this short. <laughs> i think it was the the end of september beginning
1: of october where we actually did the original demo we came in a week later to, to recut it and then i think he came in a week or so later from there to do their part and then they did the whole back you know behind the scenes footage of them doing it which was kind of unheard of because no one like not many people did that um so for us to see that experience captured we knew that this was going to be a big record for it to be a number one record and one of her one of her few you know one of the few number ones that you know you know for like I've ever had I mean McKee going on to have a couple more um but it's just it's just insane like it was a bit it was a big it was a big moment for me because you can't really you can't really plan that. It's, either, it's just, it's a, it's a bit of kismet, luck, and good fortune and blessings for that to happen. So it changed the course of our lives, of course. And also, too, it's, it's also the plan, you know, the plan is aligning, the artist you're, you're working with, what the label does, how the audience reacts to it, how radio supports it. It's just so many elements and so many factors.
0: See, I love that. Now, what's funny is we're going to jump to one of the other questions I had because you mentioned this song already. And it was from, it's about 3LW. It is Laurie from Brooklyn. His song with 3LW is an absolute fave bop with them. How did that come about? Were there any other songs he worked on?
1: Okay, so me and Makiba were, of course, we were writing, and um, we worked with this um, producer in Brooklyn who, uh, who's still a good friend of mine to this day. Uh, we call him Jade, but it's John Jade Daniels, and he had a studio. And so we were, you know, write songs and Record there and we did various demos and then we did this. He had this track. He said, I want you guys to hear this track. I'm thinking it'd be good for 3LW. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and I knew what they were. So we went in, we wrote this song called Put em Up, just a little saucy, sassy song, like, you know, very club song. We want to make it like really fun for the girls. But there's something that empowered the girl. So she's not like kind of the subordinate in the song. <laughs> so we wrote it and then we pitched it to the label. Oh, he pitched it. They didn't love the song at first. They thought it was like it wasn't their favorite, to be honest with you. And we were told it wasn't their favorite song. And then uh, time went on. And I think um, I think Tese, who represents them, um, who's also working, you know, she's a, you know, a, a well-decorated and as well. She called back and said, you know, hey, we're going to cut this song. You know, Tretch loves this song. And he wanted to write, he wrote a rap and he, he got on the record, which is crazy because I was like, oh, this is great. Because, you know, I'm a fan of Naughty By Nature as well. So it was a moment. So we went to Battery, Battery Studios, which is where a lot of a lot of great records are done better. I think a lot, some Britney records were done. back yep. through, I think um, Neo, his historic, uh, so sick moment was done. I worked with Stargate in that studio um after that and just a great great studio and we recorded the girls and I remember meeting Natori, Adrian, and Keely and um I remember them being so bubbly and cool and you know and uh we cut the record that day and we were so excited to cut the record on them. And then um shortly thereafter you know, of course you have the waiting period and then the record comes out, it's on the album and it was a moment because it was my first, it was definitely, you know, our first like major release, um, mm-hmm. on major label. Well, no, it's my second, I'm sorry. It was my second, I think our second, second release. But that record um, was a fun record. I was, I was hoping it was going to be a single because it's just such a fun record. It was, it was probably one of, I really enjoyed writing that song with Makiba and Jade. Uh, That was a fun session. It was a
0: lot of fun, you know, so. Have no fear. We will be back with Curtis Richa in the next couple of weeks. And we also will be releasing another episode of the original doll this week with a Britney Spears collaborator. So make sure you subscribe on your preferred platform to get notified as soon as the episode drops. But I'm going to leave you with this. There are so many things that I want to Uh, accomplish with this and talk about all of these great creatives and what they've done. Oftentimes I've seen, you know, in specific fan accounts, they talk about only Billboard Hot 100 or it was only this dance, you know, chart that it was number one on. I've noticed in my research is oftentimes the R&B and rhythmic airplay, as it were, are often left out of a conversation. It's almost as if some people who post about this don't acknowledge the existence of those. And I've been doing a lot on TikTok, at the James Rodriguez, with Janet Jackson and her career, her history. Janet Jackson is an artist who has accomplished so much and given so much to pop culture and to society. So what I wanted to do on there and on these future episodes is to talk about those charts that the songs do in fact chart on. An example is, On this episode, we talked about All I Have. It was actually a number two hit on the Hot 100 recurrence. It was a number two hit on the mainstream Top 40 recurrence. Now, in previous episodes, when I talked to radio programmers and radio personalities, we learned what recurrence were. But also, all I have was a number three hit on the Bubbling Under. It was a number four hit on the R&B hip-hop airplay. It was number four on the Hot R&B hip-hop songs. And number four on the Mainstream R&B hip-hop airplay. So that is ultimately ten different charts that All I Have has charted on within the top four, which is an amazing feat. I think that we shouldn't overlook that there are other people involved in these songs. Not just Jennifer Lopez and not just LL Cool J. All the songwriters and producers, these are also their songs that are hits. So for Curtis Richa, he ended up being on 10 different charts in the top four in the United States. and That's just an amazing accomplishment that I wanted to share. So. Today, take a listen to All I Have, the full thing. You can actually go buy it on iTunes. You can go stream on Apple. You can buy the album. Uh, We always say with these songwriters and producers, buy the physical copies. If the physical copies are still available, perfect. If not, buy the digital albums and then stream it. But let me know and send me a screenshot of you playing or streaming or buying All I Have. My name is James Rodriguez-Horton, and this is The Original Doll. The Original Doll.